We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. First and goal from the one. They give it to Kyle Williams. Goes into the end zone. Touchdown! Kyle Williams, touchdown! He lined up at the fullback spot and rumbled into the end zone. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was John Murphy from the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. Folks, after a season of ups and downs, highs and lows, after suffering through the hottest and coldest, snowiest games that I've ever seen in franchise history, after seeing those with my own two eyes, and after all the stress that the 2017 Buffalo Bills have put me through this year, I feel like goddamn Maximus Aurelius from Gladiator. By that I mean shirtless, intoxicated, just yelling at everyone around me. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What a time to be alive, Bills fans. My coffee this morning tasted better than it generally does on a day after a weekend that I just spent drinking. Someone at work did something that normally I would have considered headbutting them for. Is that that idiot that wears a brewski? (laughs) No, no. You guys fired him, right? (laughs) And instead, I just laughed and shook my head and walked away. I I haven't gone to the gym more than twice in a week since Christmas. But this morning, I woke up and I didn't give a shit about my diet or how awful I felt from just weeks of too many dinners out and too too much pizza and wings and beer and all oh, the drinks and the drinks. I was just excited to, to, to just have this feeling, this feeling in the pit of my stomach and to know that I could come here tonight, grab a beer and jump on the microphone with, with Chris and with you guys. Oh, it's incredible. It is an incredible feeling. I, it's if you had told me that it would that it would feel this good, feels, I wouldn't have believed you. It feels great. I don't remember what it felt like being fourteen. <laughs> I remember I remember it uh, the the feeling of defeat after we lost to the Titans. The, after that game, I'm telling you, I went outside. I vividly remember 
being 14 and going outside with a hockey stick and just shooting rocks at the side of the house. I was just so frustrated. And that was my that was one of my very first, hey, life really isn't fair, so get used to it. That was the first moment for me. That came right there. At 14 years old, being so angry, and there's no outlet for it. There's no one to complain to. There's no one to bitch to. There's no You can't have any satisfaction, even though the league knows they were wrong. Yeah, we're going to uh, break down the Jacksonville game with the uh, guys from Down by the Bank podcast, but 1996, the Bills lost to Jacksonville in the playoffs, and that started our losing streak, and plus the not, last game of not Jim Kelly's being, career. Yeah, not I mean, being shit. in the playoffs. Chris, the last time the Bills were in the playoffs, neither one of us could legally buy a beer. No, I couldn't legally drive. I don't know about you. I mean, no. you're Puerto Rican. They teach you how to drive early. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to say thank you, Andy Dalton. I, that's a phrase that I never thought I would find myself. Just, I didn't think I could ever utter those words for anything, ever. On Sunday, I didn't get to see the game-winning play by the Bengals firsthand because I went to take a piss. I'll give you a brief synopsis of my viewing experience of this game. I went to take a piss, and when I did so, the Bengals had their pick six. So, later in the second half, as the Bengals are struggling and you know the, the clock is winding down and they're running out of time, a lot like the film A Bronx Tale, I, de- I, I grabbed a few beers, I declared myself the mush, and sequestered myself to the bathroom down in the bar. You know what I'm going to tell you right now? I want you to guess. What's that? Oh, you don't even know me. I, I don't even know what that movie is. Oh, my God. Chris, he's I've never, never, I've folks, never heard of it. Total sidebar, he's never seen Goodfellas. He's never seen a Bronx Tale. Have you seen um, The Godfather? No. Oh, my God. I've seen uh, Coneheads. Give up your man card. It's forfeit. I, I, I'm going to demand. I've I, seen Coneheads. Coneheads is good. Jesus. So... I sequestered myself to the bathroom, and after a few nerve-wracking moments in there where I am not ashamed to admit that I spent most of it with my face buried in my hands, rocking back and forth while sitting on the toilet lid, I heard Chris screaming, touchdown. I thought it was lunacy, because right before that, all I heard was, oh, it's 4th and 14, it's 4th and 14, and in my head, I'm like, this, this is it, our season ends on this play. And suddenly the entire room goes ballistic. So I explode out of the bathroom. Yeah, you broke through that door like the Kool-Aid man (laughs) through a wall. (laughs) Which I also did later that evening. So I come flying out of the bathroom and I get to see the replay of what will be one of the most memorable plays of my entire life. It's Tyler Boyd, who for his career has been a pretty big disappointment in Cincinnati. I mean, they took him in the second round thinking he was going to be a solid compliment to A.J. Green, and instead he's become, I mean, he, he was so bad they had to spend another first-rounder on John Ross, another disappointing rookie this season. Well, that's not, it's not, uh, I mean, it's, almost, it's, not, it's not crazy to think of because, I mean, let's face it, Cincinnati is a dis- disappointment as a city and an embarrassment to the state of Ohio. God knows their chili sucks, but I'm done taking shots at them because we owe them a lot. Tyler Boyd scored the most meaningful touchdown of his career and he and Andy Dalton together put the Buffalo Bills into the playoffs. I picked up my fiance and carried her around the basement cheering. I, I screamed, I yelled, 
I mean, Chris got it live on Periscope. Those of you who follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. I cried. Yeah, very uncomfortable of you hugging me and crying. Very <laughs> uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And then I spent the rest of the night celebrating. This past New Year's Eve was one of the best I've had in my entire life. Yeah, because you went through a friggin' wall. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we posed a question on Twitter, and uh, we're going to tweet out the winner of the contest uh, this week. Actually, after the show, once we upload everything. I'm, so I'm, I'm partying. You know, it's party time. The Bills are in the, are in the damn playoffs. I proceed to go to a, a New Year's Eve party. You know, just a low-key event at one of my buddy's houses. You know, he's got a basement bar. And we're down there, and it's a tile floor. Somebody had walked in with wet shoes, and there's a puddle of water near the door. Now, we were trying to find the shout song. But all we could find was the Isley Brothers version of it because Alexa doesn't know anything about the Buffalo Bills. Note to uh, Amazon, fix it. Yeah, Alexa, lick my taint. (laughs) So we put on the shout song by the Isley Brothers, and I'm dancing, I'm having a great time, and I slip in this puddle of water. Now, beer in hand, I'm headed towards the table with all the food on it, and I've got to make a split-second decision. Do I try at all costs to avoid the food? Because if you destroy that, the party's over. And it's it's only 9 o'clock, 9.30. You can't end it. You can't end it like that. Or I'm going to hit the wall. That's probably going to hurt real bad. I take my chances with the wall and somehow expertly avoid both of the studs and fall directly in between them and go straight through into the other room like some kind of reverse Kool-Aid man. That's how my New Year's... <laughs> well, the shout song is still playing. This was my New Year's Eve, folks, and it was one of please, the best please, I've ever had. Please tell me you got up and acted like nothing happened. Oh, d- d- you d- just d- got up and just kept dancing. Hey, I didn't spill my beer. Okay, that was the that, that's the important thing here. I did not spill my beer, folks. I don't know your personal experiences, but I hope you all had a blast because this has been a long time coming, and this something that this fan base has desperately needed for so long. Ooh, I'm fired up, Chris. Let's kick right off into it in this week's Bills news update. Sort of an under-the-radar story developing right now. Vice President of Player Personnel Brian Gain is interviewing for the... He's taking GM interviews. It's kind of a a story that isn't on the top of everyone's mind because, uh, obviously, we're in the playoffs. This is going to dominate the news cycle. But the Bills have given the Texans permission to interview our recently hired VP of Player Personnel Brian Gain for their vacant GM position. I mean, in truth, it shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, he was interviewed for our GM position. And then Brandon Bean gets hired, and I guess the guy's so persuasive, I don't know what it is. He talked Gain into joining his staff as his VP of player personnel. By all reports, he is a talented evaluator. And it'll certainly suck to see the guy leave before he really has a chance to make an impact here in Buffalo. But at the same time, Chris, how do you hold a guy back from a job that he clearly wants because he's interviewed for it before. Yeah, you can't do that. If, if the Texans want to interview him, grant him the permission to get the interview, you know, it seems like he'll have a shot to get it. Yep. I no, mean, I, Houston needs all the help they can get. So to Brian Gain, good luck to you, man. I, I, I just wish, uh, I wish you'd been around for longer. And in probably one of the bigger news stories that developed in the last day or two, 
The Bills fans are showing Andy Dalton some serious love. It's been said that if there are Bills fans in the news, someone's either drunk, on fire, injuring themselves, or some combination of the three. So it's good to finally hear that we're getting some positive press for the things that we do. To show appreciation for the absurdly accurate touchdown pass that he threw to Tyler Boyd to help break the drought, there's been an, just a completely overwhelming show of support for Andy Dalton by the people of Buffalo and members of this fan base. I mean, it's incredible the amount of work they've done. It, it really is a true city of good neighbors fashion. I mean, they're estimating it was about, right now the numbers are about 4,500 people from the Buffalo area have now made over $100,000 in donations to Andy Dalton's personal charity, the AJD Foundation, just in the last 48 hours. You know that there's some Bills fan out there that has jumped through a table, has had sex with somebody in a parking lot, drew a penis on someone's lawn, and then donated $17 to Andy <laughs> Dalton's foundation. It's, it's just, I mean, it really is an incredible display. I'm proud. I'm proud when I see this type of stuff. For everybody who's contributed so far, if you're listening now, go, I, I, I thank you. You know, we're going to leave a link to the page in the show's description in case anybody listening wants to, you know, wants to take it upon themselves to, you know, pile on, show some more support for Dalton and the special needs children that he's trying to help out. I mean, at the end of the day, for all the drunken debauchery that we Bills fans are very much capable of, I'm glad that we finally done something as a fan base because you, you see, I mean, we had our own page on Deadspin. <laughs> just oh, yeah, for the stuff. tables and... Just all the nonsense. That finally people around the world are getting to see the side of us that I get to see every single week. You know, that those people who live here in this city have every day. You know, the side of us that you lend a hand to the guys around you. When times get tough, that's what you do. The side of people that... Like what's happening now. We have a friggin' blizzard. You, you know people are going to pull over and help people on the side of the road. That's what we're known for. City of good neighbors. One of the things I love is that you, you got guys who will donate to charity here who, who probably don't have a whole lot left for themselves. Just simply because they think it's the right thing to do. I mean, the side of our city that looks out for and takes care of the people around them. So long as they're not wearing a Patriots jersey. That's my city. This is my fan base, and I'm damn proud just sitting here and watching this, you know, th this act of generosity on their behalf. Nice job, guys. And so I guess that brings me to something of almost an editorial here. What do the playoffs mean to you? You're sitting here listening to my podcast. I'm going to ask you the question. What do the playoffs mean to you? Yesterday, Jim Rome had this to say about the Buffalo Bills and see on his show on the CBS Sports Network. And all the more incredible when you remember that back at the start of the season, people were accusing this Bills team of tanking. Remember, remember when the team traded Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby for draft picks, that they were mailing it in this year. But if that was the plan, and it wasn't, 
Nobody told the players. And certainly nobody told the Bills Mafia. The Bills Mafia never mails in anything, and they sure as hell were not going to mail in an entire football season. Because nobody reps their city or their team harder than the Mafia. And nobody was going to tell them to just lay down this season. They didn't, and neither did their team. That's, again, Jim Rome from CBS Sports Network. So you hear it coming from these national pundits. I mean, these are people who have spent years being extremely critical of this team, of its fan base, of the fact that we're a joke. To hear some praise like that coming from someone as renowned around the country as Jim Rome, it means a lot. It means a lot to me personally. You know, I hear that, and it's almost like someone's giving me a pat on the back. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you know, I hate to be a homer, but we do have the best fans in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know a fan base. I don't know a fan base that you could get to a football game. Nine and a half inches of snow falls during the game, and it's a complete whiteout. So most of the people in attention uh, attendance can't see the field anyway. Or, and yet an, or you still have a crowd of almost twenty five thousand left when the game ends in overtime with this stud run by your running back. And the stadium's erupting and going crazy, and it's still loud in the stadium after all of that. Or the Denver game this year. It's the hottest game, I think, in Bill's history, and we're an outdoor stadium. We, I mean, I was there. I was there in jeans like an idiot. I thought I was going to die, Chris. I, I was sweating all over everything like Slimer from Ghostbusters, and yet I was. You couldn't get me to leave. Yeah, well, that's because you're Puerto Rican, and Puerto, Rican, Puerto Ricans sweat constantly <laughs> and easily. Now, when this season began, the PR department of the Buffalo Bills, you know, every year they come up with a catchphrase. And a lot of years it's really, I, I think, kind of stupid almost. I mean, run deep. I don't know what that was last year. Last year's was run deep. What, what, are, are we, what are we running deep to? Run a deep pattern? Can we do that this summer, a Bills slogan draft? Can, can we do that? Yeah, <laughs> we'll review these slogans. But they gave us a new slogan to get behind, one that I thought was pretty cool. It starts with one. You know, and you see the commercials and you hear all the, you know, you hear the talk. And when you're watching football and you're watching your team get blown out some weeks, you're looking at it and you say, who's the shill who came up with this? With the hire of McDermott and Bean, the Bills told everybody that they were trying to change not just the staff, but the entire culture of the franchise. And that was met with a lot of, at times, heavy-handed criticism. I, I mean, just listen to this. We played it earlier in the year. From the Buffalo News' Jerry Sullivan on Tim, I think it's Tim Graham's podcast. Well, I'm not like fans. I walk in here and one of the fans here, Jigster. I kind of like the guy. I mean, you don't even know him. And, oh, I kind of like the guy. Sorry, I'm the, I I'm, like him, I'm the universal, and you like do him. too. Like, I'm a universal like skeptic. Hey, I'll give you a quick, quick synopsis. 2001, my first year as the Bills' full-time columnist, replacing the great Larry Felser. A 42-year-old defensive coordinator, rising guy, with a good resume, had just lost the Super Bowl, comes in, guns blazing, everyone likes him. His name was Greg Williams. Mm -hmm. All right? So I feel like I've come full circle on this. And, you know, I don't really care about his defensive statistics, and they're already being spun more positively than they should be. It's, it's just another Bills coaching hiring that is very uninspiring. And the bigger picture is he's walking into a bad situation with a weak general manager and a bad salary cap situation, much like Greg Williams walked into and went 3-13 and because Don O had, as he would tell you, he was left with a pile of, of you know, big contracts by John, the late John Butler. 
And that would be the situation if they had done the right thing and hired another general manager instead of Doug Whaley, because he's putting McDermott's walking into a difficult situation. I drank half a beer just listening to that. Fuck you, Jerry Sullivan. Suck our dicks, Jerry. I'm, I'm sorry. Suck it's, our dicks. I just hate. I, I, I. Oh, everyone seemed to be convinced. And I mean, Jerry Sullivan's always a negative guy. I, I hate 90% of what the man creates. Everyone, though, seemed to be convinced that we were doomed to continue this cycle of mediocrity that has kind of fueled this 17-year playoff drought and chewed up and spit out, what, nine different head coaches, 10 offensive coordinators and nine defensive coordinators, 15 quarterbacks, and God knows how many other talented football players just in the process. I mean, Chris, there was a lot of people, and you know this, who pegged this team to be awful this year. That would be me. Four wins, five wins. People talking about how, even talking about how those things would be good. They would be good for us. They would. I want a quarterback. So, to be sitting here today and talking about the playoffs, right? the question has to be asked, what does it mean to the fans? Chris, you're a guy who didn't live. You haven't lived here locally for most of the drought. And no, I was in Atlanta from 1994 to 2011. Okay. Do you think that in some way that kind of insulated you from some of the effects of the drought? I mean, I mean, because you're talking about tanking. I, I've been wanting to ask you this all season, and now this seems like a better time than ever. Do you think that maybe your time away from the city, not being here every day, not being as surrounded by it all of the time, 24-7 like you are when you live here, do you think that maybe that kind of insulates you from just how badly we needed this as a fan base? I mean, probably. I mean, I, being in Atlanta, you know, I paid attention to WGR and, you know, when I could listen at work or whenever, you know, when you could start streaming WGR online, I would do it, but, you know, I didn't, until I got hooked up with, you know, Bill's backers, I had no connection with anybody to Buffalo, mm-hmm. you know, a, I mean, I don't look, I wanted the team to tank because I want a goddamn quarterback, and I know you want one too, you know, Tyrod's not the guy, but, I was hoping for tanking this year, but so, but I am yeah. happy that we are in the playoffs, and that's it, and going forward, a 9-7 and seven team with, we didn't, I don't think we had a whole bunch of talent this season, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of this has to do with McDermott's coaching ability, and it can only get brighter from here. If we went nine and seven with this team, and we're going to go into the off season with five picks in the first one hundred, I can't wait to see what we do in the draft and what happens next season. Can it be September now, please? <laughs> it gives you hope, you know. Me on the flip side, my experience—I I feel like it's something like I said out of a storybook. You know, I, I've likened it to the movie Angels in the Outfield. My father introduced me to Bill's fandom. Your father also wants to fight me because I said, "Oh, he's absolutely." Said, oh, he's because I said North Collins is white trash. He's going to kick your ass. Mark my words. <laughs> and you guys wonder where Drew gets it from. It <laughs> runs in the family. And then their failure, repeated failure, just broke my father, and he inevitably, over time, cared less and a little bit less and a little bit less. And. But but seeing that is kind of what lit the fire in me. I mean, I, I went through high school in my early college years and just, you know, I saw the team and I, I think about my dad and he's, you know, maybe he's at home watching, maybe he's turned it off. I don't know. 
I, it grew. And then when I graduated, you know, got my degree in journalism for, <laughs> for everything I use that for professionally. Yeah, you're using it right now. Got season tickets with some of my best friends, and that's when it really started to set in, was being around the stadium, tailgating, meeting Bills fans, and, and just really talking to people, getting to meet other people in the fan base. Well, what about... And uh, yet throughout, but, but So as my fandom was continuing to grow, my dad stayed on the sidelines. And it's not that he doesn't care. Okay? He calls me after a lot of games. He'll call me almost immediately after the game. Well, yeah, what'd you do? Like, it was Sunday's game ended at like 8 o'clock, which I was oh my a God. little mad, out, mad about because I wish it was at 1 because I wanted to start Ubering earlier. But I was leaving, and you came upstairs into the kitchen, and you immediately you called your dad. It was the first person you called as soon as I, that game ended. I had, to stop, I had to stop crying first. I was like, I got to get yeah. these tears out of my eyes because I don't want to sound like a Sally on the phone with my father. Exactly. Your dad don't want to know that you're a pussy. <laughs> But I just, I, I, I can understand why my dad has such a hard time buying in the way he used to. Because this fan base is just, gr- this team is just grounded out of him. And some, I almost feel like it's like having a shitty ex-girlfriend. Sometimes you just or wife. To, sometimes you got to cut him off to save your own sanity. But he's the reason that I care the way I do. And to me, someday when they do win the big one, I want to celebrate it with him. And know that all of the years of bullshit and frustration and aggravation that they put him through, back before I even understood what losing in sports was, could somehow be vindicated. I, just that some of the things that he and I enjoyed together, some of the most vivid memories I have of watching football as a kid, I could, I could get a chance to relive a little bit of that. That's what drives me, Chris. That's why I can't, that's why when you say things like, no, oh, we should tank, and oh, they, the Bills should lose every game. You know what? I, the moment that ball gets kicked, you say it. I turn into a raving lunatic. You want to know why? Because that's how much it means to me. You that are. They come out of it with a win. Let me. Hey, let me. Let me. Let me ask you this: Is uh, tonight our last podcast? <laughs> I actually, at one point, just out of frustration, during the as I'm watching the Cincinnati Bengals just just bumble their way through the second half of that game. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I quit podcasting. I quit football. I quit watching everything. And then I think I kicked something, and I thought I broke my foot for a second. And that just pain kind of brought me back to my senses, and I was like, okay, you need to calm down. If you're going to calm down and recenter yourself and get back on the rails. If if you're going to just stop watching football altogether, then you should just kill yourself because there's (laughs) – no reason for you to live because this is all you cared about. <laughs> My maybe I, Larissa, maybe you care and about so her. Feeling the way I felt, reflecting on that after the fact, and how angry I was, thinking like, "Oh my God, this is an opportunity that's going to slip through my hands." I can't imagine how my father felt watching those four Super Bowls and then watching what the team just kind of descended into after Kelly left. Now, to me, this win is huge in that context because it's a signal to everybody fans to other fan bases to other teams that we're to be taken seriously yeah if you guys didn't if you guys watch those videos that the buffalo bills put out on social media and you didn't cry you're a serial killer you have no soul you probably put ice in your milk you probably order milk in public you all can get bent if you didn't cry at those videos what i keep thinking is this all this talk of culture change, it, it wasn't finally for once we had somebody who stepped in and actually accomplished it. I, I mean, think about it. I don't have to hear from Bill's players who leave in free agency that their new team 
quote unquote, works harder than any team they played for or quote unquote, gets more primetime games so their family can see them. It means that this coach who was dismissed is overrated or simply quote unquote, another guy. You just heard it because of the team's struggles, his vanilla press conferences and his love of buzzwords and catchphrases like playoff caliber and the process might actually hold the key to turning the ship around. Did you did you watch did you see, like see McDermott like and single him out specifically in all of these reaction videos of the locker room when the touchdown was scored? He had no He had no he, this is what he had no emotion. No, no, this is what this is what I saw on this is what I saw on, on his face. I saw him he like he had no emotion on his face, but he I I kind of think he had a little bit of smirk like I just got a raise. <laughs> I just got another year. I, see, I don't even think about that. I mean, week after week, what we saw was a team who, even though they weren't always the most talented team on the field, were finding ways to win football games. Okay, McDermott was congratulatory, but also really realistic about things to close out his press conference on Sunday. A lot of happy guys in that locker room. Um, a lot of emotions, you know, running running pretty wild. Um, guys just happy to be a part of it and. This is a good. This is a team, you know. This is a team. These guys, um, they play as a team. Um, from day one, no one gave them a chance. Uh, you know, people thought we were tanking. Um, and uh, I give a lot of credit to Brandon Bean and, and our personnel staff. They do a great job, and and the guys continue to battle. We're not. Uh, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Um, but we are. We are very grateful for this opportunity. Um, and it's a well well earned opportunity. That audio comes from buffalobills.com. I suggest you go listen to his entire press conference because it's incredible. But that. Yeah, it's not as usually it's not as vanilla as it usually is. But that right there. Okay, we picked that I picked that segment because this right here is the embodiment of what he's trying to build. The fact that he recognizes that this team has its flaws. Mainly st- a quarterback and offensive <laughs> coordinator. But still accomplished a playoff berth. It's telling of what this means to the team. It's a stepping stone, but not an end goal accomplished. That is probably the one thing I'm the most impressed with. I mean, his reaction about, I mean, think about it. When he came in, his sentiment was, everyone kept asking about the drought. And he said, hey, I don't have anything to do with that. I don't have anything to do with 17 years. I'm, I'm here now. I'm one year in. A lot of these players don't have anything to do with 17 years. So... He acknowledged that the drought existed, but essentially said from the get-go, I don't see the drought. I see the job, the job I've been hired to do. I mean, he's speaking like a man who doesn't want to take too much credit for ending the drought, which is insane because God knows if it was Rex Ryan who had led us to one of these. I mean, think about this under this lens. Rex Ryan making this monumental step forward for the franchise after all of these years of failure. He would have made a spectacle out of it. He would have been beating his chest. He would, I'm sure he would have had a lot of you know radio fodder, a lot of one-liners, a lot of bulletin board material for other teams. And, I mean, fuck, he probably would have wanted a statue next to Ralph's outside of the fucking stadium. Instead, we've got a head coach who sees this. And he says, he speaks like a man who feels that he's done nothing more than the job that he was hired to do and thinks that instead of resting on laurels, there's still a lot of work to be done because he can do better. That, I mean, that approach 
makes me feel like there's a bigger corner to be turned and that it's not that far off. So let's take in this victory, I think, as a fan base. Wherever it ends up, embrace the moment. If it's a blowout loss, I remember saying all season, I don't want to be the team that makes the playoffs just to get their heads kicked in in a wild card matchup. I'll tell you what, being on the other side of it, I feel like an asshole for saying that because this feels pretty damn good. Yeah, I give us a chance, and we'll get into that a little bit later. I mean, it's guys, it's okay to believe. Regardless of what happens next, things are looking up here in Buffalo. So now we got to talk about how did we get here. Well, with our Week 17 recap, the Bills 22, the Dolphins 16. Let me give you my stats of the game. Tyrod Taylor, 19-27, good for 70%. 204 yards, one touchdown, six rushes, 35 yards, and a 104.6 QBR. Jay Cutler, one of two, six yards, and one almost interception. David Fales, 29 of 42, 69%, one touchdown, one interception, 83.9 for a QBR. Marcus Murphy, Seven carries, 41 yards, uh, 24.5 yard long, it was as long as carry, 5.85 yards per carry. Kenyon Drake, 14 carries, 75 yards, 5.3 per carry, one ejection for throwing a Bills player's helmet. The Miami defense, 126 rushing yards allowed, four sacks, 14 penalties, for 145 yards, six defensive penalties that directly resulted in first downs. So, folks, last week we hosted Travis Wingfield from the Locked on Dolphins podcast. And during that show, he pretty much gave us the feeling that the Bills were very likely to win because Adam Gase had taken to press conferences during their after their loss in Week 15 and had essentially gone on record to say that the next couple games were going to be used It's kind of an audition just to see what they had in the, you know, what they had on their roster, what players really wanted to play their way into jobs and what guys might not be back the next season. I mean, that's Chris, that's what you do. If you're a tough coach, who's hey you had a season that didn't go the way you expected to. You want to find out what's on your roster, right? That's what I would want to do. I would want to give more snaps to guys that don't get a whole lot of playing time and see what I have for next season. I mean, because maybe some of your starters are going to be free agents. I mean, that much became pretty obvious when you look over the snap percentages. I mean, you've got quarterback David Fells plays quarterback for all but one drive of the game. Uh, On the offense, you've got tight end two, well, actually tight end three maybe, A.J. Derby. You know, they just traded for him 32% of the offensive snaps. He doesn't even really know the playbook that well. Uh, They they played their backup center, Jake Brendel, for 21% of the game. And then Jakeem Grant, wide, who's a wide receiver four, but I'd argue is more talented than Kenny Stills, got 44% of the offensive snaps. And on the other side of the ball, defensive tackle three, Cam Melvo, got 54% of the snaps over, you know, Devon uh, Godshaw from LSU. He got a lot of the hype this season as a player who was kind of emerging, a rookie draft pick. But Cam Melvo, who's been behind him most of the season, got more than half of the snaps at D-tackle. And then linebacker three, Mike Hall, played 40%, even though he's a depth guy. Yes, the Bills won the game, but the Dolphins didn't really do themselves any favor from a personnel standpoint. I mean, you you see it. They're trying to test their depth, 
some guys that they've seen flash in practice. Maybe they've shown a little bit late in games or on special teams, and they want to see, hey, who wants to be here? So seeing that, it's not shocking to see that the Bills won this football game. Having said that, it wasn't easy. On the offensive side of the ball, we are still not a good football team. Yes, we won. That first scripted drive was fantastic. At the same time, the majority of what they were doing on that side of the ball stunk, in my opinion. Now, you can blame some of that on McCoy being out. Okay, you, you can. But when you lose a player, it shouldn't. Uh, if you lose a running back, even a running back as dynamic as LaShawn McCoy, it shouldn't change your approach. It should change the result that you expect to achieve, but it should not change the way you approach attacking a defense. And that's all I saw. I mean, Tyrod Taylor completes a pass, a touchdown pass to a wide-open Nick O'Leary. Great. It was a huge catch. His uh, Jack Nicholas was actually in attendance. He got to see, and he was wearing Bill's gear. It was a nice scene. On a later play, he had the opportunity to throw his second touchdown of the day. O'Leary was wide open in the end zone, and Taylor overthrew him by about six feet. It, it, it took me right back in my head to the comments of Tony Romo during the New England game. There are certain plays and throws that you have got to have as an NFL quarterback. And for some reason, Taylor, for all of his positive attributes, just can't make those throws with any kind of consistency. I mean, it's Chris, you see me when these things happen. Yeah, like, look. Do are, I or do I not come unglued? You, you come unglued during the second offensive drive because, <laughs> like you've said, our, our opening drives have been fantastic. Uh, we get a lot of production out of them. And I feel like the gap between our production on our opening offensive drive and our second offensive drive is about the it's about as wide as the gap in Dennison's two front teeth. <laughs> oh, the play of Tyrod Taylor combined with drop passes from Chuck Clay who did, in his defense, he had a good first half. I mean, Chuck Clay was making plays in this game early on. And then they took him away, and he just, you know, he didn't show up. And some extremely simplistic play design by Dennison. I mean, he's running a high school offense. It's Turk Schoenert could come in and give us exactly what we're getting out of Rick Dennison. I'm, I'm convinced of it. I'd like to see the man burned at the stake as a witch. Wait, wait what? Did I just say that? <laughs> Well, you look, can't say that. That looks good for the uh, upcoming draft because I guess if Dennison runs a high school offense, any one of these quarterbacks could easily pick up our offense. For for me, the lone bright spot on offense was Marcus Murphy. Or as I'm, I've taken to calling him, RoboCop. Because I saw Murphy and I was like, well, who the hell is Murphy? Murphy? What, what is Murphy doing out there? And then Murphy went for a 25-yard run and I said, oh my God, he's RoboCop. He's unstoppable. This is fantastic. <laughs> and now it's just stuck in my head that that's what this kid's nickname was going to be until he's not on the roster anymore. Yeah, he, play, he, play, he played well. He, you come in for an injured Shady McCoy, and you know you have you have a big run like that, and what, you have 5.85 yards per carry? Yeah. Every I time. mean, that's what we have to rely on to win is our running game. I mean, some of that can probably be attributed to the fact that when you have to throw a no-name, uh, un completely unknown running back into a situation like that, yes, you as a team don't know what you're going to get out of him, but neither does the defense. They have no read on his tendencies. They've done no film study on him, so they're coming in naked. Now, if he has to start because of LaShawn McCoy's ankle injury next week, 
It's going to be a little bit different because I'm sure the Jacksonville Jaguars right now are going, they're kind of diving into tape and saying, okay, who is this kid? Because nobody expected to see him. He was the lone bright spot on offense for me outside of one player on one play. Sunday was a marquee day. When you look at the box score for Kyle Williams, his two tackles on defense wouldn't seem very impressive. But Sunday was absolutely a win for the veteran defensive tackle in what might have been his last game ever with his children in attendance. He goes out and scores a rushing touchdown for the first time in his career. I mean, that's incredible. And then he was instrumental in the defense maintaining its composure in the second half. I mean, you watch videos, he's on the sideline and he's walking up and down talking to everybody, linebackers, safeties. He was doing what you expected of a veteran leader. He's trying to keep the group together just so that they could get that, get that win. And when they did, he got a chance to walk off the field with his kids, with his kids, take his kids in the locker room with him in what might be his final NFL game ever, only to learn that his season was in fact not over. And that for the first time in his 12-year career, he was going to get a taste of playoff football. I cannot stress enough what this man has meant to the franchise over his tenure. I mean, he's been our culture guy. He is the heart and soul of this team. And Chris, who carries the load from a veteran leadership standpoint without Kyle Williams on this roster? Mm, I don't know. I wouldn't give it to Jared Hughes because he commits too many uh, unsportsmanlike. I I honestly don't know who I would who I would give it to. I mean, I mean, you know, whenever he retires, we need some we need a we need somebody like Kyle Williams. I mean, we're not going to find it because you can't find anybody like Kyle Williams. But we're going to need somebody with his kind of leadership and his ability to lead. What I know is that watching him get to have those moments. Those moments in the locker room when they knew they clinched. You know, those, just those moments with his kids as he's walking off the field. It warms up my tiny, black, Grinch-like heart just a little bit. Chris, cheers to Kai Williams. He is this week's Hero of the Week. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world! After the game, he was given the honor of breaking things down for what might be his last time as a Buffalo Bill. We have it for you here. I want you to listen to this and just just soak it in. Hey, man. Not us, right? Not us. Yeah, not, not us. us. Let's tank it, man. Let's, let's, let's just be done with it. You don't know anything about heart. You don't know anything about work. Huh? That's who we are. That's who we love. These boys are going to enjoy it with their dad. Yeah. Wanted to come celebrate with us. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, man. Coach and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a start. Yes, this is not a finish. Yes, this is a start. Yes, All right. Let's stay on it. Let's stay on our standard every day and let's go mm-hmm. make some noise. Now let's go. Let's go Bills on three. One, two, three. Bills. That right there. I'm I'm tearing up just listening to it. That right there is the heart and the passion and the pride that he has played this game with for his entire 12 year career. Right there, encapsulated in one moment. I am absolutely going to miss this guy when he's gone. I figured out. I, 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 my Darius jersey, it's, I, I can't wear it anymore. Set that on fire. So, Remember so, what was it, like two years ago? Was it before the last season we were talking about, hey, look, we better prepare for life without Kyle Williams. I, 
now that it's here, I know what jersey I'm buying. And I know what I'm gonna wear it for I'm gonna wear it for as long as possible because this guy has not only been just instrumental to this entire process, but he is Buffalo. You know, he he really truly is. He's a buff he's even though he's from Louisiana, he's a he fit right in here in the city. You know what I mean? The city of good neighbors, he'd fit right in here. And that speech, I mean, it just gives me goosebumps listening to it. That's what makes him such a, such a special player. I mean, the fact that even in the twilight of his career, he's still got that fire, and he's still willing to just rage against the dying. I'm going to rage against the dying light. Let's go do this. Let's, let, let's stay on our grind. He's incredible. It's what made him special, and he's a guy that's going to be near and dear to the hearts of Bills fans for a very long time after he's gone. Ah. And now the zero of the week. Fans who actively called and rooted for the Bills to tank. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. That's right, asshole. Chris, I'm looking at you. Oh, every one of you out there who actively rooted for the team to be terrible with this misguided notion that somehow that would be better than feeling what we have here today, you are all the zero of the week. All of you. Where else are you going to get a quarterback other than the top of the draft? That's what I want. Your mom's house. My mom doesn't. <laughs> my mom does not manufacture quarterbacks at all. No, she does a lot. Of <laughs> Jesus! Oh, you walked right into that. So now the AFC playoffs. We're in it. Now what? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I'll see you in hell, Jim Moore. I am talking about playoffs for the first time ever. I'm talking about playoffs. Woo. The AFC playoff picture. Starts with the Patriots as the number one seed. They got a first round by home field advantage and a quarterback who can kiss my ass. The, the Steelers, the number two seed, first round by, just sent the Browns straight to hell. And by hell, I mean an 0-16 season for just the second time in NFL history. And if you were wondering where hell is located, Nakedry's basement. (laughs) The Chiefs, number three seed. After losing four in a row and nearly choking away their season, now have won four straight games. They only have three turnovers during that time span and have only allowed one team to rush for more than 100 yards. That's The defense is getting together at the right time. We got the Jaguars, the number four seed, twenty second to second ranked rushing attack from 2016 to 2017. They have the second best scoring defense, and they dominated their division. I mean, the we o- would dominate that division too if we had two games against Tennessee and Indianapolis and Houston <laughs> without Deshaun Watson. They are coming, however, into the postseason on a two-game skid, which is something that we're going to talk to our upcoming guest about. Then you've got the Titans, the number five seed. Mike Malarkey likely saved his job by making the postseason because his offense has really sucked the land. I mean, down the stretch, the offense has struggled mightily. They've, uh, they've obtained only more than 100 yards rushing only once in the last four weeks. They've got a month with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry at running back and still haven't been able to break it until this past Sunday. I mean, 
they also only have two games throughout their entire season, week one and week three, where they didn't turn the ball over at least once. I mean, that's that's big. And then, oh, I just love seeing it. I love looking at this chart, Chris. I love seeing The Buffalo Bills is the number six seed. We're coming in. Are we? Are we gonna? What you said on Sunday? Because they showed that Tyrod Taylor said you're gonna come with that. Tyrod Taylor, 19 total touchdowns. Tyrod. How many of those are passing? 14. Tyrod, I don't care about him at this point. What I look at is that the Buffalo Bills as a team, as a team, the only team that we've lost to over the last what five weeks? Patriots. Or the Patriots. Yeah, twice because we had we had like we played them like twice in like three weeks. That's a pretty good fucking run right there. That's impressive. And you got a team that's emotional. Yeah, they're under we're we're undergunned. We're outmanned, right? I is this is like in my mind, this is the movie Young Guns. This is the movie Young Guns, and the Buffalo Bills are holed up in the house, and there's a million soldiers outside, and there's no there's absolutely no way they could survive this, right? That movie I actually haven't seen. <laughs> I hate you. Like I said, your man card is forfeit. Folks. The way everything stacks up, I, I just think it's worth noting. There are three current and or former Buffalo Bills head coaches currently in the AFC playoffs. Isn't that weird? I mean, I said earlier, my nightmare, earlier on weeks ago, I said, my nightmare scenario is a universe in which Doug Marone and Mike Malarkey are in the playoffs and the Buffalo Bills are sitting at home and watching them. If there's two more... <laughs> If there's two former Bills head coaches in the playoffs in one conference, then that conference sucks. <laughs> Ultimately, we can all breathe a sigh of relief because we've broken the curse. But now this is where the heavy lifting actually starts. The so folks, we're here. For the first time in 17 years, we are here. Wild card weekend. Jesus Christ, I never thought I would get to say those words. And here to help us break down our upcoming matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars, we have two very special guests. I've got Derek Smith and John Kellum of the Down by the Bank podcast. Boys, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. What's up, What's up guys? How are y'all? Not too bad. So just to kind of introduce you guys, get, help our listeners get to know you guys a little bit. i got a couple questions for you. First and foremost, how old are you guys? Um, well, Derek, you can go ahead and go first. Otis, <laughs> Otis, Otis is the wisest, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, man. I'm 36, man, unfortunately. All right. Oh, man. No, unfortunately, I should say. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 31. All right, so that's John. John's 31, Derek's 36. Now, I got to ask you guys about your Jacksonville Jaguar fandom, okay? Now, you guys host the Down by the Bank podcast. You've only been doing it for two years your downloads are already in the thousands. You guys are real, and now you have an SB Nation affiliation with uh, Big Cat. Uh, what is it? Big Cat Country. Country. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. You guys have really kind of blown up. Good for you. I mean, hey, <laughs> cheers. I mean, it, it it's crazy, man, because the way this thing whole started out, it, it started out with Derek and our uh, other friend Corey, who's not with us tonight, and uh, you know they came and told me that they had this little podcast going, and I was like, all right, cool, I'll get on and you know talk a. Uh, a bunch of Jags with him, and next thing you know, we've got like this threesome, no homo, like this thing <laughs> where, where, where we're going on. And you know, I, I, I still, I don't know if it's for Derek, but it's kind of surreal to me that people actually download and listen to what we have to say. Oh, you know? I mean, I can't. It's I, weird. Oh, we, no. I get that. I get that every I, each podcast I upload to Podbean, 
and people down. I'm like, I, why would 500 people care what you think, Drew? Yeah, you're an idiot. Between our <laughs> online radio, I mean, hell, I had, I had, I had training camp passes this summer, and I'm interviewing oh. players. I'm interviewing players, and in my head, I'm like, how did I get here? Oh man, you're you're on that, you're on that level, How man. Did this that's, happen? that's awesome. How did this happen? I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be over there drinking a beer. So, well, well, I'll tell you this because of it, and it's gonna you know where I know we're doing the pot the, the 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 intro right now, but because we have Coughlin back is a good reason why we're even in the playoffs. But also because we have Coughlin back is the reason why a lot of podcasts in town can't go near the players. So, <laughs> oh, he's old know, school. He yeah. rules with an iron fist, man. Oh, dude, Coughlin. He's it. You know what? He's that dude, though. He is that guy. He he, old school. I mean, rigid. I don't give a damn. You know, he, he's got a way he wants things run, and you don't question it. That's who he is. It's how he is. Now, mm-hmm. as far as you guys are concerned, in your fandom with the Jacksonville Jaguars, how long have you been Jacksonville Jaguars fans? I mean, did it start as soon as the team sprung up? Um, so I was – I'm a military brat. My dad, we were in uh, – we were stationed in Sigonella, Sicily when the team was announced. And we've been fans ever since then, man. So we were there in uh, 95 when they were announced. Moved back to the States shortly after that. And, you know, I, I've been – Everywhere since Natron means, uh, you know, your your Jay Fiedler. Uh, I Natron mean, means way you just hit yeah, me with yeah. a name. Natron yeah, means. Natron means, man, Natron man, means ran dude. all over us in the friggin' playoffs in '96. <laughs> you, you you like how I did that? You, I did a little research. I, I, I got a couple of jabs for y'all. <laughs> dude, man, I just I ain't gonna lie. I grew up a Cowboys fan, you know, but I I, I can't stand Jerry Jones. I really can't stand him. So after, you know, going through the, the crap, I told myself, like, in the mid-90s, after they won the third Super Bowl in, in four years, I'm like, all right, I got to get a new team. I'm from Duval. I got to go with the hometown team. And wow. that's since that, you know, that 95, 96 year, I think about 96. And since then, it's been all teal and black. Dude, I, I can respect that. I can respect that. So now, as fans of the team, I got to ask you both, what was your least favorite moment? Being a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, what was the one moment that you vividly remember just being like, Jesus Christ, why do I keep watching this? You're you talking about the season or? Uh, no, just in general. <laughs> overall. Overall, throughout the throughout the entire time you spent watching the football team, what's the one thing that would, if I said, hey, what's your least favorite play ever? What what would it be? Um, I would probably have to say my, my least favorite play would have to be when – I think whenever – it was a couple years ago, maybe like eight or nine years ago when we were lining up with like Reggie Williams, mm-hmm. um, just these just terrible names at quarterback. We've got Blaine Gabbert throwing the ball, and he – Gabbert drops back in like a clear pocket, and I forget what team we were playing against, man. And this dude literally just – I mean folds in the pocket like a lawn chair. And I'm just <laughs> thinking this is a clean pocket, step up, any any – you know, functioning quarterback in the NFL can step up and climb this pocket and deliver a pass to Reggie Williams, um, Ernest Wilford now, who's a cop here in Jacksonville. So <laughs> we, you know, we we got guys like that lining up. Dennis Northcutt, uh, Cleo Lemon. I mean, I mean, just the names just of, of any type of roster or the, just these. I mean, these are sounds like these names sound like. Uh, random names I'd give a woman in a club, like if I'm trying to get a number, like, <laughs> hey, my name is my name is Cleo Lemon. 
Uh, you, you know, I'm trying to disguise myself. Like that, that is this is terrible, man. Oh man, mine's not necessarily a, a play; it's a moment, and it's the draft about what four or five years ago mm-hmm. in the third round when we picked a punter. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> then, oh my god. Then I, I, I was sitting at the television. I'm sitting in front of the TV, right? I got all my buddies over, you know, everybody. I got my, my one buddy. I call him Joe. I call him Patriot Joe. He's from New Bedford. He runs his mouth about Super Bowls and Tom Brady constantly. <laughs> and he looked at me and was like, they have lost their stinking mind. A punter in the third round? I, I just I cut the TV off and kicked everybody out the house. Like, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> hey, I've had hey, I've had one of those moments. I had a, I had a house with like 30 people over and the Bills drafted Aaron Maben instead of Brian Arakpo. And, and everyone else stayed inside. And I took, I filled my shirt up. I held it like a hammock. And I probably put 10 beers in there. And I took a kitchen chair outside in the backyard and then sat outside until it was dark. And people kept coming out. Oh, Drew, do you want to get away from me? Get away from me. Get out of here. I'm, I'm just trying to be alone. If, yeah, so not- so real, real, real quick, I got to ask you. You, you Bills fans, something really quick. What, what's up with the the, the Zumba pants? The Zubas, right? the Zubas yeah. pants. I'll the, tell you, it's something that started back in the '80s when doing ridiculous things was cool. Like, think about it. That, that is such an '80s style, and right. they, they actually make them for every team. But y'all are the only ones that wear them. But because Buffalo, <laughs> because Buffalo is, uh, we're as, still stuck in the '80s. As Chris likes to <laughs> proclaim that you know certain areas of Buffalo are white trash. Um, yeah, there, where you're from. There was a white trash vibe to the Zubas, but it, it kind of fits Buffalo. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, you guys are all too classy to do it. Well, we're going to do it. Screw you I guys. hear you. Now, if I was, look, if I was, if I was you guys, I would, I would tell you that the least favorite moment for me if I was a Jaguars fan would be November 29th, 2011, the day that Shad Khan purchase the Jaguars. <laughs> now I have to have an owner with a mustache like that. <laughs> Do you hear this hey. dude? See, the, he comes on the left field. But the mustache the is kind of like the pants, though. You know, the mustache. <laughs> exactly. I mean, people wear the mustache shirts. People have the, they even have the mustache on their babies. It's kind of like a, if the man ran for mayor down here right now, he would kill everybody and be the mayor of Jacksonville. That is fantastic. And, yeah. They, oh, they call it Conville. I mean, for crying out. Especially right <laughs> now. So getting into that, I mean, right now it's Conville down there. Everyone's, after years, I mean, there's been some ups and downs. Right now everything's roses down there. I got to ask, when we talk about the 2017 season, culture change. You bring in head coach Doug Marone. You bring in Tom Coughlin. They seem to have instilled a, just a physical nature and a kind of a toughness that your team didn't have before the two of them showed up. I I mean, i got to ask, do you guys see that as fans? As guys who follow the team closely, do you notice a, a huge difference between you know, Gus Bradley era versus now? Um, I mean, the thing about it is, is whenever Tom came in, you know, he, he had his little rah-rah you know, speech and everything, and, and Doug Marone was a very no-nonsense kind of guy. He didn't pep up a lot of the media. He, he came in and said that we're going to be physical on the run. We're going to be uh, establish a culture of winning. Tom Coughlin said we're just going to start winning. You know, we're, we're going to embrace everything in, in uh, a winning format. The thing down here was we're going to try to win lunch. Uh, and that was one of the big things, one of the big taglines. We're winning lunch and everything. Um, and, and then 
it kind of you, you see the players start to kind of transition into training camp, more physical training camp. There's no ping pong table um, in, in, the, in the locker room anymore. There's no Xbox Live in the locker room anymore. It, it's more uh, a physical, more of a beatdown. Uh, and then we got this new training facility, an indoor training facility here in Jacksonville. And they're like, uh, uh, no, you're not going to use that. You're going to practice outside in the elements. You're going <laughs> to win in the humidity. We're going to practice. You're going to beat each other's asses in the humidity. And, and that's kind of where, where it's gone. I mean, Derek, go ahead and piggyback off that, man. I mean, passion. Last year, even our own fans were making fun of uh, players like, you know, Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, was, he was crying on the sidelines. But he wasn't crying like he was hurt. He was crying out of passion. Yeah, because you know, they, they hated losing. I mean, and, and that doesn't happen. That's that wasn't like a one-time thing. That happens all over the league. Mm-hmm. So when you have that kind of passion, it's already on the team. You just got to have a coach that knows how to bring it out collectively as a unit. And that's what they've done. Uh, they've been able to harness that passion, and now it, it's it's showing as a product on the field. Now we got a little speed bump or circus act within that passion, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, that's what it is, man. It, it, and it's, it's, it's all about that passion that they have. It, so, it was crazy, too, like in training camp, because we all went to a couple of the training camps, man. And, you know, here in Florida, it, it's one of those things where it is 8 o'clock in the morning. It's like 87 degrees outside with 90% humidity. Wow. So Jesus. you don't want to be near, like, the next person too close because you're going to literally be sweating on them. And it was one of those things where they came out, they did their team stretch, they, they they did everything like that, and then when it was seven on seven, offense versus defense, the chirping, the chippiness, the everything was just going. It was just to another level. Like you thought these guys were literally going to kill each other. Uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, had was out of the uh, out of training camp a majority of the time, and Allen Robinson was destroying um, Aaron Colvin. He was destroying uh, AJ Boye. Um, and, you know, he was pretty much having his way with number one defense in the league. And we're just like, yo, this team is going to be special this year. Uh, this is going to be something. And, and then they were just literally jawing back and forth with each other. Plenty of times they had to get separated offensive, defensive line. Fowler was destroying Cam uh, Cam Robinson. And then Cam Robinson – no, no, excuse me. Fowler was destroying um, Parnell, Jeremy Parnell. We had him. Uh, in the uh, preseason acquisition, and he kind of sat out because he didn't. He, I, I think there was something wrong with the contract. We were supposed to pay him this, etc., whatever. And there was a play that we we went out and saw, and Fowler was destroying this guy. And they ended the team drills, and Fow- uh, uh, Parnell was like, "No, I want another shot at him." And Fowler put his ass in a walker, basically. And just after that play, <laughs> he didn't come back to practice. Like he literally said, "I'm going to retire." Dante Fowler. Made him retire. Forced so that's the type of training camp it was. The seat, now was the, it but that's what you it need. Was, um, I mean, it's the, the the phrase is iron sharpens iron. You know, you yeah. When you're tough and the guys you're going against are tough and you're tough on each other, you're both going to get better at what you do. It. That's a perfect example of that guy doesn't need to be there anymore. If you can't hack it, then you need to get out. You can't just okay, we're going to give him the position because we think it. No, if he can't hold up, because no team is going to be easy on it. Especially not an opponent, not a guy who doesn't share a locker room with you. So if you can't hack it here, you can't hack it anywhere. So there's a lot to what you guys are saying. Now, I've got a question about the offensive side of the ball. Nate Hackett here was a rookie offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Doug Marone's defenses were very good. Nate Hackett's results were kind of mixed on the offensive side of the ball. How would you say that he's fared with you guys now in his second stint as an offensive coordinator? 
Um, simplicity. Simplicity is how he's fared. And the reason why is, you know, we've been very critical and very, you know, applauding at times about our quarterback. But you got to keep it simple with him. And Hackett, in my opinion, has done a, a great job with what we have at that position. Because, to be honest with you, I think that's all we're missing. That, that's all we're missing is that piece. So, uh, you know, the, the higher when, – when, 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 uh, when Hackett and um, Marone, everybody came back, it was kind of 50-50 within Jacksonville because people were like, well, it's just Bradley's staff without him. You know, well, that's going to suck. You know, and when you throw in Tom Coughlin, it, whatever, we still got the same problems. But, you know, that's why we're fans and they're professional, you know, football players and coaches. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, and that's it. I mean, the, well, you're, uh, I I'm, hate I'm, our offensive coordinator. I've, I think I've, I've used the terms. <laughs> I've actually offered to pay for the U-Haul and personally pack all of his shit into it. <laughs> if it means he'll get out of here faster. Yeah, Drew's been calling for Rick Dennison to get fired since week two against Carolina. Fact, earlier tonight, when we were recapping our previous game, I actually think I said, I mean, I'm thinking, because when I get into this, you know, you get into a rant when you're passionate about something. I think I actually used the term, I wish he was burned at the stake, which is really excessive in retrospect. <laughs> Maybe I took, oh it a sm- <laughs> I took it a smidge too far. But having said that, that brings me to talking about the Jacksonville offense. I mean... You mentioned you guys think that Bortles is the thing that's holding you guys back. Now, he was referred to as trash earlier this season by Houston's Jadavian Clowney. And it's fair to say that he's had an up and down year. But he's also had some truly impressive games down the stretch here, which helped you guys seal the division. Then in the same hand, he's got six games of less than 200 yards passing. So I guess the question is, what would you say that these recent performances have more to do with? Is it the offensive coordinator changing things, or is it just the quarterback executing better? Um, it, it, it's majority of it is just the quarterback executing, man, to, to be honest with you. Like like Derek said, and, and to mention also, it was Brandon Albert. I uh, just don't want to correct myself. Uh, not, uh, Brandon Jeremy Albert. <laughs> Brandon Albert. But some of the things that you'll watch – and, and you'll see if you guys watch any of the film on Bortles, a lot of the stuff that he does and a lot of the passes that he completes are very high percentage, non-pressure situations. With that, I mean crossing routes. Um, you know, if there's some one-on-one coverage, uh, you know, he he he's pretty accurate in that in that standpoint. But it literally has to be the most favorable situation. We've got to be up by seven. Our defense has got to be playing lights out, and that pressure has to be off of him for him to make that you know that that typical throw for him to make that quarterback throw. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, we were saying that Blake had played his best game. And then the next week, we said he played his best game. And, and that was uh, consecutive weeks against, uh, you know, Seattle mm-hmm. um, that he just looked out- outrageous. I mean, just throwing the ball, you know, everywhere he wanted to. Well, and then there were some of that earlier in the like, year what, also. I'm watching these highlights, and I'm going, well, what is everyone carping about? This guy looks like he, he's throwing the ball around like a madman. He's running for touchdowns. He's, he's doing all kinds of things that you want from a quarterback. I mean, hell, Bills fans would kill for someone with Bortles' skill set because you said, oh, he can hit on a crossing route. I wish, I wish we had a quarterback that could hit on a crossing route. It's absurd. (laughs) So when I'm watching this, I'm like, why is everyone giving Bortles such a hard time? And then I start watching some film and I start re-watching some of the games over on that uh, NFL game cast 
or what Game Center or whatever the hell it is. Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Game Pass. Because, a little shameless plug there? Well, no, no. They give it to us for free. As being, <laughs> I have a season ticket holder, and they give it to us for free. So I'm like, oh. Yeah. Because when I'm at the games, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I start tailgating at 7 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 6.30. Uh, wow. The, the, the snow game, the, the game with the blizzard where it got yeah. snowed on to you, I was there setting up my tailgate. Figured 15 people showed up, 15, 16 people. And I got grills, I got multiple tables, tents, you know, heaters to set up. I did all of it by myself and I got there at quarter to seven in the morning. Like that, I, I take tailgating seriously. I, so, yeah, okay. I, I, okay. So okay. there's, so time, there's time, out, time, time out, time out, time out. We're going to, we're going to get back to Blake here in a second. Dude, you Bill's Mafia guys, you guys are insane. Okay. <laughs> I told JK3, I was going to br- bring that up on the, the tables. Okay. Someone had the, the, the dang pants and, on and suplex somebody off of a truck and yep. something was on fire on the table. Like, yep. What is that? That happens in about 1% of tailgates. But I'll tell you, people, <laughs> this is what it is. You have so much energy. I, I look at these young kids. That's what it is. It's the young guys. These young bloods, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I'm like, I feel like I'm Uncle Drew over here in, from, from those commercials. With, <laughs> I'm, I'm over here. I throw a killer tailgate. I'm not jumping through anything. I'm not – I don't know if I, I – I've got a three-inch vertical leap. I'm not jumping through a table. It's, it's just the way it is. So – but but yes, we're a very passionate group of people, and we drink an excessive <laughs> amount of alcohol. Like our city, I'm pretty sure you guys per capita probably have us based on the population size. I think that for every man, woman, and child in the city, we could drink yours under the table. That's just my opinion. But having said that, I, our fan base is a little bit rabid, and this is just going to make it worse. You know, you made the playoffs. Yeah. So you, I mean, you, you got a taste. You got a taste of something fantastic. Yeah. Something you haven't had in a while. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, you know, Sunday 1 o'clock, talking about Blake Bortles, which Blake Bortles do you think will show up against our defense? Um, I'm going to tell you right now, and we'll go, go back to what, what – uh, what Drew was talking about, and you, Chris, just to kind of mold us all together. So earlier in the season, we were, you know, just kind of goofing off. We kind of goof off uh, just before and after recording, just kind of, you know, talking about different things, kind of, you know, getting the conversation going. And I picked up on something. If you look at slant, cross, go, and screen, okay? So those are four route combinations. Screen mm-hmm. could be, you know, any kind of screen, a slant. Uh, crossing route. It's usually about a 12 or 15 mm-hmm. yard, in, you know, in route mm-hmm. or a go route, which is you know, fly route down the field. That's all he can throw. Okay, and teams, Nathaniel Hackett. Now, this is what I talked about with the simplicity. He's kind of been able to develop that and able to get him to execute. But if teams take that away, and they'll give him like deep comeback routes or hitch routes, oh, it's it's pick six city all day. <sighs> Like, he throws them so late, his wind-up comes back. Um, it, it'll come back from time to time. Well, It really a- depends on, just like you guys with uh, Tyrod, <clears throat> it's like the tale of two QBs. Which one's going to show up? Absolutely. I mean, I, you want to talk about something, turnover concerns. That's one thing that I looked at. When I looked at all of your games leading up to this weekend, your team has only four games this season where the offense didn't turn the ball over. And you won every single one of them. But on the flip side of that, 
in games with two or more turnovers, you guys were two and four. And your team is coming into the playoffs having given up seven turnovers in the last two games, and you lost both of them. I mean, I guess I got to ask, is that, do you think that that may be just that film study and just that knowledge of, hey, this is what teams are doing, this is what they're taking away from Blake, and this is what are, this is what is producing a large number of turnovers. I mean, is, do you think that's part of it? That, that and, you know, you got to think about it. We, we've got our entire, our, our rookies are pretty much our team right now. So Leonard Fournette, we've got Cam Robinson on the offensive line. Um, you know, we've got D.D. Westbrook. Keelan Cole, who you, I mean, you probably have heard of D.D. Westbrook if you are a college, you know, guru. He won the Blitnikoff, but Keelan Cole from Kentucky Wesleyan University. Um, we have a guy named Jadon Mickens who was living out of his car, you know, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- those are the receivers that you have right now. You know, we've got no Marquise Lee or Marquise Lee is if up and down. We just got Hearns back, who is probably, you know, our more sure- sure-handed receiver. And Allen Robinson has been gone since the first uh, first game of the training camp, or excuse me, first game of the season. So you lose your comeback routes and your ability to throw it to any 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 amount of like range where Allen Robinson is. That's gone with with with, with that. So you got to put the ball on Marquise Lee for him to catch it. Believe it or not, he may, he drops the most basic catches, but you throw the ball between you know a linebacker and like. Double coverage, he's going to catch the and ball. He'll find a way um, to make it just to aggravate you, just to make you yeah. mad. You're like, why did you drop that the, that easy <laughs> out route? And then you caught that like highlight real catch. Yeah, I mean it, it's crazy. And then you have Jadon Mickens, uh, who's a speedster, who you get the ball to him in one of those four route combinations that Derek was just talking about. You know, he he's going to be gone. I mean, and the same thing with uh, with Keelan Cole. The only real deep threat, the only person that's going to take the top off this defense is uh, D.D. Westbrook, and he had the chance to do that against Tennessee last week and drop the ball. Perfect pass to Bortles, straight down the straight. I mean, perfect pass, dropping the bucket, dropped it. So injuries so we, have we're, really kind we're of, relying on rookies. Injuries have really kind of hurt you guys, and I mean, now I'm hearing that there's questions about whether or not Cam Robinson's even going to be able to go. I mean, that's important because I mean, this is what I'm seeing. Your rushing attack, this is the thing that scares the hell out of me. You guys have gone from zero to hero from 2016 to 2017 when it comes to running the football. Last year, you guys were near the bottom of the league in rushing. This year, you're the second-ranked rushing attack. And, I mean, that's it. Even even your quarterback has almost as many rushing to I mean, I think he has as many as Tyrod Taylor does. And Tyrod Taylor is an excellent runner in the open field, but your offensive line has really kind of given new life to this rushing attack. And you guys have picked up the slack on the ground when your passing attack fails. I mean, Fournette, obviously having a high draft pick like that helps. He is a stud. I thought, and I said in the preseason, in the run-up to the draft, that you guys made a mistake. I said it. I said, oh, Jesus, their offensive (laughs) line is terrible and you draft a stud running back, but I watched him play against, I'm an Alabama fan, so I watched him play against Alabama in two two consecutive games, and he was constantly getting contacted behind the line of scrimmage because he doesn't have any escapability back there. He's a very much, he puts his head down and runs. I mean, he's got some wiggle to him, but he's not the most elusive athlete when he's trying to, you know, he doesn't dance. You know, he's not a LaShawn McCoy type runner. He's a power runner. So, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, why would you draft a running back like this when you don't have the line to support it? And instead, your offensive line has responded with, I think, one of the strongest seasons 
out of any team in the NFL this year. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when Fournette went out, TJ Yeldon still had over 100 yards rushing on, I think, nine carries. Yeah, because he went to Alabama. Damn straight. Is it, <laughs> is it fair to say that your offensive line's play is what's allowing all of these guys to be so productive? The, the O-line, and we were, as a show, we were highly critical of the O-line, too. Uh, you know, just because they hadn't really, besides, you know, they had Cam Robinson, but just some of the same pieces. But I'll tell you, I'm going to go back to, you know, Nathaniel, you know, Nathaniel Hackett. Simplicity. Our play calling has gone from, you know, predictability to almost unpredictability. And it's still kind of somewhat, you know, when we get in third and long, we know some dumb stuff is coming because of our <laughs> quarterback limitations. But if it's third and six, third and five, there's a chance we might run the ball. We could throw it. I think that has definitely helped. And it's kept the defense on their heels instead of on their toes. Because last year you knew on first down and second down we were running the ball. Okay, so it didn't matter what offensive line we had. Bortles had you know nine ten man boxes. They said, oh, he's got a ten man box. How in the hell do you have a ten man box if you got two wide receivers on the field? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were dealing with. So uh, it, it, I, I got to give it to you know the offensive line. You know they've been playing great, but also. The play call selection, that's been really good, too. So, yeah, the, the play call selection has really, really opened it up for us. And my bad, I didn't mean to, uh, mean to cut you off. Oh. But uh, and that and the read option has been something that's really worked out in our favor. And we don't run a lot of it. I'm telling you right now, Sunday, expect to see some read option. Um, definitely from Blake and Leonard Fournette. The thing that the Jags are going to do, they're going to you know, they're going to run the ball. They're going to suck you in with the run. They're going to run. They're going to pound it. They're going to pound it. And they're going to hit you over the top. They're going to hit you with a Mercedes Lewis screen. Um, they're going to hit you with, um, you know, something from James o o O'Shaughnessy. And hell, they may even hit you with a fake punt. I saw that fake punt you guys ran. That was disgusting. It was filthy. It's, it's criminal. <laughs> the fact that you guys got away. I mean, I saw it. I was like, oh, you guys just did them dirty. That fake punt was disgusting. Just straight up the gut. Straight up the gut, up the middle of the field. And it happened so quickly that the, the unit couldn't, couldn't recover. I mean, that was incredible. So, honestly, it sounds like you guys do a lot of things on offense kind of, I don't want to say the same way the Bills have, but it all flows through the running game. It flows on the ground. And if your ground game isn't working, then things get a lot more difficult. I mean, that's, especially with turnovers. So, on the defensive side of the ball, I guess we all know how much talent you have. I mean, I what was it? I, I think I was trying to look it up. First-round draft picks, second-round draft picks, and free agent acquisitions. You guys have so much invested in that defense, but it shows because you guys just club people to death. I mean, the rush defense is great, and your pass rush is just unstoppable. You guys come in waves. And that's the thing that I think is most impressive is that your defense has been able to produce these. Usually you get a defense, you see like the Ravens defense. You know, they shut out the Miami Dolphins, 44, you know, 40 something nothing. And everyone says, hey, hmm. look at the Ravens, they're elite. And then they, they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> and in a game where, hmm. where you got a quarterback that throws multiple touchdowns. So with that, I guess I just, you guys have been so consistent on defense. Where does it come from? Is it linebacking core that's the strength of the D? Is it the D line, or is it just the fact that you have so much? You know, talent? it's the D line because they have Darius. Is it because you've 
Because I, I honestly, I can't find a unit on the defense that looks like it has any weaknesses. Um, it it starts out it starts out with the defensive line, and then it just goes from there. You know for a fact that I mean we can a lot of the Jags' success really comes when they play man defense. We get killed on zone. Zone someone is always somewhere or a step behind where they shouldn't be, or a step here or a step there. We get killed in zone. The thing that you know you, that you really don't want to see from Jacksonville is when they go man up and hit you guys with like a three, uh, uh, like a maybe a, a three three man rush, and they have that extra defender there. You might as well go ahead and throw the ball in the ground or go ahead and sack because the thing about it is you've got Calais Campbell coming up the middle um, on anywhere you can get a, a guy that you probably don't know. Number ninety-one, Yannick Ngakwe. Oh, uh, and Ngakwe, I love him. <laughs> no, because he ruined our last game against the Jaguars. I came into that game thinking, "Oh, these guys are a bunch of pushovers," and Ngakwe is making tackles behind the line of scrimmage and chasing Tyrod Taylor all over the goddamn field. I, yeah, I was like, "Who is this guy? What? Yeah. Where did you find him?" Yeah, that that guy is just un- unbelievable. And then uh, it, it comes back into our, our linebacking core. Um, whenever he's on the field, a guy that you guys are familiar with, number 51, uh, <laughs> you know, Puzz Paul Puzz I, I can't believe he's still playing football. What is the percentage of Jacksonville Jaguars fans that you think still actively wear a Puzz jersey? Dude, believe it or not, man, he's a, he's a hometown, like, people really? love him. I mean, this dude was putting oh. up hurricane shutters when we had, like, a, a hurricane okay. here. So All people, right. people love him. People love him, dude. And then All he right. just goes... Into the the corners. I mean, you got Jalen Ramsey, AJ Boye, and then Colvin. You know, does his thing. Telvin Smith does his thing also out Telvin there. Smith Church. I mean, it. Derek. I mean, get, I mean, go ahead, man. I, I don't even know where to begin. The defense is just it's, unbelievable. It's it's almost like you you rotate. Uh, you know, we got like six or seven guys we're rotating on the defensive line. Um, and then on third down, there are no D tackles. Maybe. You know, Malik Jackson may be out there, but usually they go four defensive ends on third down. I tell you this right now. It's like that it's, speed it's Rod. Yeah, it's a speed thing, and they put Calais right over the top. where Calais will be in a D-tackle spot, and he'll be on the side of wherever the quarterback's arm is. So he, Tyrod's a right-hander, so he's going to be facing the offense. He's going to be on the left defensive tackle spot because uh, he's like 6'9 or something crazy like mm-hmm. that. Just so we can get uh, up there and down try to passes. bat down a pass, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's third smart. And, that's, how do you know yeah. this? God. It's just – You make it, me feel you lazy. Just, I think I, I, I work I – work, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into my show prep. You – oh, my God. This is incredible. You, you got I I, you know, it. I've always told people just I'm weird watching football, man. I don't know why. I don't know where I get it from. I'm just weird. But I will say this. For Buffalo fans out there, uh, if it's third and eight or nine or longer, you guys are in trouble. Okay, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because we're gonna we're gonna constantly recycle that defensive line, and they're gonna be fresh. And then around the late in the second quarter, before halftime, when it gets tired, when you get tired, that's when we really start cranking it up. And then if you don't make any adjustments, it's it's pretty much game set match if Bortles isn't killing us. So, um. That I think I still don't know why you know you guys just dump Darius for nothing, but thank you. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's a combination of a GM who didn't draft him, 
who says, here's mm-hmm. a guy who's getting paid a ton of money, who plays a position. We talked about it on our podcast before. Defensive tackles, and I believe this, there's certain positions where you spend money and there's certain positions you don't. There are a handful of D-tackles. We took a look at the top five D-tackles as far as what they get paid and then looked at their production. It's almost impossible. If you're making if you're making $16 million a year, it doesn't matter if you finish the season with seven sacks and 50 tackles. You still haven't lived up to your paycheck and the, and the percentage of the salary cap that you've eaten up and committed to that one position. I can count on one hand the number of guys over the course of the last decade at the D-tackle spot who have been able to do that. Darius, you can tell he didn't want to be here anymore. He had accomplished what he thought he set out to do. I mean, his thing in the run-up to the draft was he wanted to get paid so that he could get his family back together. He said it. You know, me and my brothers, my sisters, we've been split up. I want to get everyone back together. He got that. He obtained it. And then he started getting into trouble because I think he there was no, he there was nothing here to hold his attention. He's away hundreds and hundreds of miles away from everything and everyone he cares about. You move him back down to the south, he's rejuvenated. He, he was a guy who is the epitome of, I needed to save my career, and I needed a ch- uh, change of scenery. You guys have given that to him, and it sounds like he's really kind of taken hold of that. I mean, what can you say about Marcel Darius's play since you guys traded for him? I mean, it, it's been – he's definitely helped our run defense. Our, our run defense has been, you know, where – where we really have become a complete D. I mean, you think about it in the very beginning of the season, we got torched yep. by, uh, by, by the Rams. Oh, absolutely. But, but who, who hasn't, who hasn't gotten, you know, well, who, yeah, Todd Gurley. I mean, every, everyone's going to get their ass kicked by Todd Gurley at some point. No, not me. I, I got a hundred bucks because of it. Screw you. <laughs> Screw you. Uh, and then, and then we, we played the, uh, the Titans who, who've got our number this year, but they did some really good work on us. Uh, you know, that, that set. Game of the year, um, you know, Mariota was taken off, Derrick Henry was taken off on us, and DeMarco Murray was killing us as well. So, uh, coming into that, and after actually fixing those holes, I mean, because I think at one point, Derek, I'm, I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but we had given up like every play or every game, we had given up a huge run. Like I'm talking about like 60 yards and in, 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 in something like that it was just ridiculous. And we bring in a run stopper, and I, I mean, it's just helped bring the defense and, and make it full circle. I think the game that did it for us was the Jets game. We gave up back-to-back possessions. I think it was 87 and 90-yard touchdown runs. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. But they were both very long and very close together. And, you know, you look at it, you know, forget the ties. Marone doesn't have too many ties up in Buffalo anymore. They said they had like five or six players left. But apparently the Jets have a decent run game, although they wins and (laughs) loss, they stink. But when they played you guys – Darius kind of handled them. Yep. So I don't know if they really looked at that tape. Uh, that was something I read from a tweet. And that and the fact that you basically gave him away was the reason why he's on the team. They wanted to clear uh, that salary cap because in their minds, mm-hmm. they're like, here's a player who doesn't want to be here. He's ma- he's eating up a third of our cap. and at the same, He's eating up a huge percentage of our cap. And at the same time, he's one more. We don't know if he stays here living in this environment that it's good for him. Good for him as a person. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to be happy where you are. The fact that he was abusing different things and that he was doing the, acting out the way he was off the field, he wasn't a happy guy. 
you can't know all the money in the world can't fix that. So maybe you need to cut your losses, take what you can get now, start fresh. Yeah, you're gonna have to go draft another guy, you're gonna have to find a new plan. But it's not only gonna be good for you, but it's gonna be good for the person. And I think that's what it came yeah. down to. Was them trying to do right by him, not just save cap room, but also do right by the player. And and he's flourishing with you guys. So now looking at your defense as a whole and knowing what you know about them, if you were the Buffalo Bills, if there was any hope that we have, because you guys were a juggernaut on that side of the ball, where could the Bills possibly, knowing what you know about our our different skill sets and things like that, where could the Bills maybe attack you guys and find a little bit of progress? Um, JK3 mentioned the zone coverage. That's that's one. If you if you see us in any kind of cover three, you don't give up on it. Give it time because for whatever reason, it's always busted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first thing. It, it, it just uh, it, it frustrates us. The second thing is um, uh, don't don't try our corners. Um, <laughs> oh I'm no! Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. We don't have a quarterback. Our quarterback doesn't like to throw the ball when people even it, look remotely yeah. covered. I know you got Kelvin Benjamin, and, and he, you know, 6'6", and, you know, red zone target. Jalen Ramsey, because they play ball together at FSU, I promise we'll want to line up on him and go at him hard, like just constantly. I want to cover him like a blanket. All right. Um, and then the third thing is uh, our over-aggressiveness. Um, that's kind of what uh, happened to us, our over-aggressiveness with, um, with Tennessee a little bit. Sometimes, you know, they'll get us going one way, I think, on that screen pass Derrick Henry had. The whole defense shifted one way. He slipped out the backside, and before you know it, he's running down the field 80 yards for a touchdown. So um, it's kind of it's one of those things where, you know, uh, you know, the old get the defense going one way, we'll go the other way. And with, with Shady being hurt. Um, Isn't that just a kick in the I, teeth? Isn't yeah, that just now. a kick in the teeth? It's like, oh, you made the playoffs, but the player who accounts for almost forty percent of your yardage, yeah, he's fucked. Great. Yeah, but so, but but if we can duplicate that kind of an effort with somebody, that's a way to get you guys kind of on your heels and at least open up some room for the offense to operate. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, guys, I, I I'm sure our listeners are like I said. I, I I do this because I look at it and I say our listeners have this. You know, they need to know this type of stuff because they don't want them to walk into it flat-footed. I don't want to walk into it flat-footed. I think I know what I'm talking about until I talk to people like you, and I appreciate you guys coming on the show tonight. Yeah, do we have predictions for do the have, wild card game? I'm going to need a prediction for the score from both of you. Um, so, uh, JK3, uh, his uh, John, his laptop just died. So, oh. hey, he did have his... He's gone. Uh, All right. Cord. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go ahead and take this. I don't know if I can really give a prediction, guys. And it's because of our wild card, because of Bortles. I mean, I'll say this. 23-20, Jags. 23-20, Jags? 23-20, Jags. I was going to say, this is going to be a low-scoring game because our defenses are so, so stout and 
We know what we're going to get. Our from- defense isn't stout. We just we're we're the prototypical. We give up a ton of yardage, but we don't let you in the end zone. Okay, are we are we playing like somebody like Brady or Rodgers? We're playing Bortles. You don't know what you're going to get from him. You know what you're going to get from Tyrod Taylor? About 160 yards and a touchdown. Ooh, <laughs> it's going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be Buffalo is going to win the game, 17 to 16. Wow. wow. The balls wow. on this guy who called for us to tank all season long. Wow. Right there, Chris. 17-16. For those of you who can't see it because it's radio, I'm giving Chris the finger. You <laughs> you get to step into my house and declare a win in the playoffs when you've been calling against us all year. You can go to hell. Well, so, what's your prediction? My prediction? My prediction is a 17-14 Bills victory on a 61-yard Stephen Hauschka game-winning kick. Derek, he's been doing. Derek, he's been doing this all season long <laughs> for his prediction. So we're gonna win on a Stephen Hauschka ninety-five yard field goal. Because against. every every game that I've ever watched that mattered comes down to the wire like that. There is no comfort. You, you, <laughs> you know, we we uh we cut our kicker Myers. Thank God after like week three or four and got Lambo, and he's been like a, a dream come true. He's like nineteen of twenty. Uh. I think perfect, or maybe missed one extra point off of a you know a slip mm-hmm. uh, in some bad weather. Um, he may be perfect, but anyway, I, I just that's why I picked it by three. You know, you guys are kind of in the same boat we are. You know, if, if you look at the the Bills and the Jags, yeah, you know the defenses. We got a lot of names on our defense. You guys don't per se, but the style of play for both teams is kind of similar, and the way you win is also kind of similar. It really depends on. What is Tyrod going to do? Yep. You know, which receiver is going to step up today and make a play? Uh, is Shady going to run for 100 yards or is he going to have 11 people in the box he's chasing after him? So um, it, it, it's just, it, it's going to be one of those games. I think it's going to be an ugly AFC matchup. Uh, I, I will say this Roethlisberger, a few minutes ago, about 30, 45 minutes ago, picked us. And the reason why he picked us is because he wants a rematch. From his five pick performance. That's right, because you guys smashed him in Pittsburgh. You guys smashed him. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Hopefully, we get a chance to rain on your parade and show up in New England for part three. It's all I can say, brother. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your show? Yeah, where can where we find, can find you on social media? Where can we find you on Twitter? Where we can find JK3 on Twitter? And then uh, any plugs for your podcast? Um. So down by the bank, uh, you can look us up on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle, uh, the T H A D Rock R O C. John's Twitter handle is J K D A T H I R D J K the Third. Um, we definitely uh, post on um, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. Uh, I think maybe Stitcher, maybe another one. Uh, so we we upload there. We try to upload there weekly, and. If if you ever want to to hear some more, uh, you know, Jags talk. If we're playing the Bills, uh, we're 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 just like your you know, rock the pile, man. Passionate, <laughs> passionate podcast, man. Passionate, I love it. Passionate. Now I will say this again, you got you Bills mafia guys. You guys are crazy. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, Bowl City Brigade. No no offense, guys. If any of you guys listen to this, Bowl City Brigade, BCB guys, but these Bills mafia guys, these guys are crazy. Yeah, Derek is absolutely correct. 
Because we are nuts. Bill's Mafia is nuts. We, dr- we have sex in parking lots. We draw penises on people's lawns. We j- dive through tables. We drink in excessive amounts of beer. You got Pinto Ron who brings a Pinto to the stadium, cooks food on it, chicken wings in an army helmet. But we are also the city of good neighbors. Andy Dalton's foundation, it's now up, Bill's fans, $170,000. Fantastic. See, that's what I'm talking about. We are about. the city of good neighbors. This is what we do. Guys, we're going to post a link in the description just so that anybody else out there listening to the show who maybe didn't get the memo beforehand and wants to donate. Donate you seven, get, $17. You can get in on the action. All right? It's a great cause. And hey, why not support the quarterback who literally threw us into the playoffs? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How can you not? Guys, we want to thank... We want to thank uh, John and Derek from Down by the Bank Podcast for uh, joining our show tonight. Uh, we will uh, put a link to their show in the description of our show for tonight. Uh, great podcast if you want to check that out. Down by the Bank Podcast. Associated with the SB Nation. Uh, it's a big cat country. Big cat country. Guys, thank you so much for showing. You, you guys have no idea. Your support is what keeps me doing this. It's why I get up every Tuesday morning and I'm I'm energized. I'm yeah, ready. It, it, it doesn't what, matter how hungover I am, how miserable I am about the previous weekend. And it, it's what we're getting right now on Twitter. One of our one of our diehard listeners, Eric Harris, is right now has been tweeting us videos of him drinking Seagram's. The Seagram's bet is just taking off. Nate's dad because wants in. He it. bet us that they wouldn't make the playoffs, and he said he would drink a six pack six pack if we made it, and he's honoring it which is fucking unbelievable when you consider the fact that he could very well just not give a shit guys what i love i get up every tuesday morning and i look forward to coming here and talking to you guys and this this last weekend is what it's all about this is why i do this for moments like this because from fan from one fan to another from fan to fan to fan we can all just talk to each other we can talk about the things that matter I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, uh, we're uh, in, we're in. Beer, we've added another week to Beer Watch because we are in the playoffs. So we've got another week added to Beer Watch. Uh, Kathy Barnaby, uh, one of our listeners that came through uh, the uh, Bills Fanatics, her guess of uh, 320 beers out the window. Out the window. And Alex Warmall, our listener from across the pond and winner of the Rock Pile Report Fantasy Football League. His guess of 324, well, it sucks. Just like shot low, it, son. It sucks, just Stick like England. Cri- Stick to cricket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Guys, again, I can't, I can't state enough. Your support, the listeners who show up to listen to this podcast, you're the reason why I do this. If nobody was listening, I'd quit. The fact that you all give a shit what I think and what we talk about on this show means the world to me. It keeps me motivated. It makes me hungry. Let's get hungry. Let's go into this weekend. Hey, we got a puncher's chance, okay? And that's that's the most we've had in almost two decades. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Be good to each other. This has been the Rock Pile Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 